0: The Film Jive podcast is made possible by Audible.com. Sign up for a free 30-day trial and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash filmjive. That's audibletrial.com slash filmjive. And welcome to the Film Jive podcast. We are recording this episode on Sunday, April 13th. My name is Zach.
1: Uh, I'm Andy.
0: This is episode number 66, where we will be discussing Hajime Saito's 1968 science fiction horror film Goke Body Snatcher from Hell. So Andy, you want to give us a rundown on the plot?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. In the midst of a hijacking, Air Japan flight JA-307 encounters an alien spacecraft, which directly causes the airplane to crash, land on a nearby, isolated desert valley. As the survivors consider their flight, a blob-like alien creature consumes the body and mind of the hijacker, turning him into a bloodthirsty vampire who threatens the group's chance for survival.
0: So, this is one of the attempts by the Sochiko studios in japan to kind of uh i guess get into like the genre cinema of that era because from what i've read through most of the 30s up into the 60s they were primarily the studio that was bankrolling all of like the japanese new wave stuff from, yeah. like ozu and Mizoguchi and stuff like that so this film um, for anybody that's not familiar with it is included in the Criterion Eclipse box set when horror came to Sochiku, along with three other movies. It's also available on Hulu Plus through Criterion's page. So if you want to watch it, you can check it out there. So this was a first time watch for both of us. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of it?
1: Well, um, I read a lot about the film. Like it's came up in a lot of books that I have on kind of like exploitation, psychotronic kind of films. And um, they, it's always been said, like, this is an amazing film. So I kind of went in there with high expectations. And um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that the film quite met those expectations, but I did really enjoy it. And there were parts of it that were that did meet like kind of the psychedelic aspects that I was looking for in the film. There were these like odd like flashbacks to where instead of like black and white, they'd be black and black and red,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I thought were very effective and were very cool. Yeah. I thought the, the special effect of the glowing UFO was really, you know, cool in a psychedelic way, and I really enjoyed the the way that the blob creature kind of entered the body, and um, I think, like, I would send you some messages after I watched the film, and I said that uh, some of it was kind of, like, um, kind of reminded me of David Cronenberg, and in a sense of kind of, like, the body horror, and, like, a virus entering the body. Well, even and just
0: gets, that the way that it enters, yeah, the yeah, cut is real. very like vagina vagina. (laughs) yeah like
1: yeah um yeah so it it was and and it makes me kind of wonder if Cronenberg ever although the film wasn't released into in North America until 1979 so he'd already been making films by that point but uh, like I said it did remind me of it kind of reminded me in a way of uh, they came with uh, they came from within except not in a apartment complex Mm. but how it kind of like went to each how it would affect infect other people along mm-hmm. the way that were part of the uh the the flight. I also thought it was kind of clever uh the way that they did it. Um I actually thought a lot of the film was pretty clever. Um the kind of like surprise ending.
0: Yeah well, yeah, we can I
1: we'll get I to that. enjoy it. Well, yeah, should we spoil this not so much as a surprise ending of what it is, but how the plane crash, how it looks like you're in the desert, but really they're just over a dune from from what <laughs> appears to be a major highway. I actually thought that was really clever. Mm-hmm how that was done. And um, the hero of the film, the uh, the pilot, he's the one that prevents the people from leaving, looking, um, leaving the plane right away and looking for, for help.
0: Which in retrospect kind of makes him look stupid yeah, in a way. That's
1: what, that's what I thought was kind of interesting how he's the one that we're supposed to identify with. And he's really the, the one that's truly at fault for everything that happened. And so at, when the plane first crashes, how everyone's blaming the pilot for the crash and he's saying it's not my fault it's not my fault what ultimately happens is his fault mm-hmm. it was like i did not expect that at all uh every character is very arch and um uh one-dimensional mm-hmm. but in a way I, I, I what the director was going for you needed those characters i mean he's obviously making a broad statement about that's anti-war, but it's also very anti-Vietnam, which I thought was kind of surprising, as it's um it is Japanese film, so it's not an American film and it's not Vietnamese. Although I don't know how many Vietnamese movies there were at the time, but it is making a statement against the Vietnam War, which which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Which seems to serve. I mean, you have the American woman there that kind of serves that commentary. Yeah. Um, which Well,
1: also the the whole commentary of the aliens we're able to do this because we're more concerned with making war with ourselves and paying attention to what's actually happening.
0: Right. I mean, the thing is a lot of this like, um, sixties Japanese genre horror films. They, a lot of times they did contain American characters as a kind of a way to make the cast a bit more exotic. Yeah. like the thing is about with the, um, with the occupation in the sixties of Japan, I think they got a lot more interested in, Multiculturalism,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that you see a lot of that in in this movie. but what was interesting, I guess, talking about her character is that when she's talking her all of her dialogue is written as if she's Japanese. That was something yeah. that I picked up on, so her speech patterns, her annotations felt very much like a Japanese character, which I think in a sense makes her performance <laughs> look really bad.
1: Yeah, she's very like stilted in the way that she speaks,
0: which but... I would say everybody is, but yeah. it's more apparent with her.
1: With her, yeah. um,
0: I like the what I actually really appreciated by about the movie was the kind of overall just nihilistic nature of it. I mean, it's... Uh,
1: oh yeah, uh, pretty much every character, even the characters that you don't assume are bad or evil, there there is a streak of of nastiness to them. Um, the American female, Miss Neal, who's the 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 widow, and the psychiatrist seem to be more on the side of the pilot and the stewardess. But at the drop of the hat, they will turn. They turn on
2: mm-hmm. the of
1: So, and there's also like a like a sleaziness that runs through the whole movie
0: too. Well, there's the, like a
1: slime There's like a sliminess to it.
0: The psychiatrist is like a fear junkie or something. Like, yeah. he's like getting off on the whole situation. Almost. Well, the
1: the, the politician and the arms dealer's wife,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: for instance, Um, the way that whole thing's done. And even when the scene where they're just like, you know, this is after the plane crash and the politician and the arms dealer's wife are like this close to actually start having sex. And we kind of like the camera tilts up and we see the arms dealer watching them, like watching what's happening. And throughout the movie, we learn of the relationship how he's essentially prostituting his wife to the, to the politician to get a uh, government uh, funding and things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it, there is like a, a sleaziness to the film that I enjoyed because I like that movies, but also um, I really, in a lot of the studio science fiction films from Japan at this time period, I really don't get too much of a sleaziness. I'm thinking of like war of the gargantuan's and your Godzilla films. And well, that's like that. what to-
0: they seem to be. That's kind of like primarily what dominated that era. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's partly why I, I do think this kind of stands out as something very unique because it doesn't—it doesn't really adopt any of those conventions in any way. It yeah, seems to this be one you can tell go.
1: is not. Yeah, you can tell this one's not meant with children in mind.
0: No, no. You're talking of. I've read a lot of comparisons to this and then House, which I don't agree with yeah i don't see in that retrospect either. and then I mean, re- other
1: than some psychedelic imagery there's nothing i don't see anything how they're similar at all
0: well i don't ever think that the imagery gets pushed to the extreme no, no it, it doesn't because no. i mean for me house is like watching a car a looney tunes cartoon
1: yeah house is a cartoon but i'm talking with like the psychedelic imagery where uh when the blob enters how you have the the reflect the, you know the projections on the face mm-hmm. which is something out of like monterey pop or something you know like psychedelic in that
0: regard Right, and then the other movie that gets compared a lot is Mantango, which...
1: I do agree with that. That I did, um, there were, because I don't know, have you seen that one, Mantango? Yes. Okay, and that one's like their shipwreck. Right. So there is that connection where instead of shipwreck, they're, they're plane crash.
0: I like Mantango more than this. I think Mantango's better. Yeah, Um. but the interesting thing about Mantango is I think Mantango... Um, you could interpret it as a depiction of like um, male sexual aggression, where they they can't control themselves mm-hmm. as that situation continues to escalate. Whereas this movie, I kind of felt was interesting in terms of the way that it depicts sort of, um, especially with the politician, the arms dealer's wife, sort of like her retaliating against these men exploiting her, because I mean that politician, essentially in terms of the story, is the embodiment of lust and corruption.
1: And well and also once we get into this situation where it becomes more deadly, I mean there is the 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 politician and the arms dealer, they almost become impotent in the face of what's going on. They become right. such cowards.
0: There are two characters that you're just kind of waiting to meet their demise, I feel like. Um but in, in her husband giving her over to him her kind of being treated like uh, this piece of meat. So when she finally reaches that point where she is kind of tired of all this, she happens to be the character that comes back and delivers the message of what the intentions of these alien beings are. Yeah,
1: she's the voice of the alien, which I thought was interesting that she didn't become a vampire like the other one. She became their voice, which I thought was interesting. I
0: thought that was also strange too because all the other characters don't live, which I also thought yeah. was an interesting decision not to have them come back as vampires either yeah also from when she delivers that message that moment actually reminded me a lot of when sigourney weaver it becomes zool in ghostbusters
1: yeah i can see that but although i think um in ghostbusters is obviously more comedic there's a lot more comedic effect done with it but i actually thought it was very effect when she becomes that whole scene where they see her up on the mm-hmm. the the cliff, and she delivers the speech I thought was very effective. Yeah. Know?
0: It was one of my favorite moments in the movie. Um, so, and, and also going back to that sexual thing is it's also interesting that I feel like the only male character survives. She seems to be the one that has any respect for females at all throughout the film. Yeah. Whereas all the other male characters kind of have this, um, like even the psychiatrist yeah. Um, I think there's sort of an ignorance to that character, clearly because he's he has not had any experience in a situation like this, so he's looking at it the way that a person watching a movie would look at it like' oh this is, right. this would be an awesome thing right. The only thing with with his character and what they use him for that I found really tedious well, there's two things that really I found tedious: one is the scene where he hypnotizes. The one woman to figure out what happened right, yeah, was driving me insane because I already know what happened, <laughs> like you already showed me what happened.
1: that's true, yeah, I can see
0: that for this to like and that sequence carries on for quite some time, yeah, and the one thing that I didn't like about the American woman being there was the fact that every time she speaks English, somebody has to then translate translate it yeah. for her, which I thought was funny though, because he always kind of spices up what she says like there's the whole scene where she talks about the napalm blowing up in the face yeah. and he's like it it squashed his face like a pomegranate or something I'm like yeah, what yeah, does that that's... mean like <laughs> <laughs> i
1: thought um early in the film when they first kind of crash and they are talking about what this could possibly be he almost the psychiatrist almost seemed to be someone that was there just to explain to the audience that it could be this and this is plausible because of this reason.
0: Or do you mean the? Do you mean the biology? Because I don't remember the psychiatrist ever.
1: Oh, maybe it was the Maybe okay.
0: There was. There's like the two. There's two scientists. There's the psychiatrist, and then there's the scientist that happens to be like space biologist.
1: Yeah, that's that's who I'm thinking of. The yeah. Space bi- space biologist. So, yeah, sorry. That's it. Almost seemed like, and he he died relatively early. He died in the crash. Didn't
0: he? The. The space biologist,
1: yeah, didn't he die relatively early?
0: No, he survives all the way. He is the one that's leg gets injured, and so okay, he's okay. stranded in the plane. Okay,
1: yeah, but yeah, his character early on just seemed like to explain to the audience these are things that it could possibly be, and science thinks that this is possible.
0: But even what what I thought was interesting in in terms of because you had mentioned that it was an, when bef- you had watched it before. I did, and you had said something about it being an interesting anti-war film, yeah. and the first 20 minutes or so, I was really kind of confused as to where the commentary was going because, and this could just be my the way I was perceiving these characters, but the fact that the politicians were liberals, because they're part of the Democratic Party, um, mm-hmm. which then I also went and I researched to make sure that that meant the same thing, it does in it? Japan, I don't know. and it does, okay, but the attitudes of some of the characters' current state of the world and their feelings on death and things of that nature mm-hmm. seem to be yeah. portraying them as conservatives or something i yeah, and yeah. so I was a bit confused, and then also how much the movie is really dismissive towards, I think its depiction of psychiatry and its treatment of a character like The Scientist, where in a way it seems to be denouncing intellectuals. So Mm -hmm. I was very confused where I was like, I can see this commentary in, I can see it in the politicians, but then in the other characters, it kind of seems like these conservative values are working their way into the movie. So when the anti-war element comes in, then I got really lost because I was like, well, conservatives making a movie would not, make an anti war film, they would be pro war, they would be Especially
1: pro pro Vietnam at that time, yeah. And the and they also wouldn't have had a politician as nasty. And I don't know if they would have had a arms dealer portrayed in that light.
0: Right. Either. And it's just but it was just very bizarre to me that they chose to align them as Democrats. Yeah. Um but maybe that was just I don't know, because there's even a a mention of government and medicine being the two most important things, and they're the two things that sacrifice lives in order for progress. Yeah. Which the characters defend, but I suppose the movie is clearly kind of pointing to the flaws and the ideologies of those two concepts. But, I mean, I would say that along with the stock footage, I do kind of find the anti-war element... um, Somewhat thin, in a in a way where it's it's literally characters kind of shouting war is wrong.
1: Yeah, it's it comes down to the like you like you said, people were just set, basically coming out and saying war is wrong. The placement of having a Vietnam War widow is very odd. I think in nineteen sixty eight is kind of odd. The having such a negative portrayal of, of of an arms dealer. Yes. And then also the fact that it. Goke or whatever whatever the body snatcher's name is, uh, pretty much stating that we're able to do this because you guys are concerned with fighting with each other. Yeah. Because in a way, it's, I, when I was watching, I was read it as our, you know, mankind's constant fighting and bickering with one another is making us blind to the more important things in life, not necessarily an alien invasion, but other things that we could be working on to make the world a better place.
0: Mm-hmm. When a character shows some ounce of humanism, how there is a whole group of characters that completely denounce that. Yeah. Uh, just as like, we don't, in a situation like this, we don't have time for humanism.
1: Yeah, because because uh, yeah, politician says that, doesn't he?
0: It's when the Vietnam woman, uh, Vietnam woman, the American woman, after she finds the hijacker with the scar on his head, and it reminds her of the name, her husband dying, wants to bring him in and treat him and they don't seem to to want to do that and they're really negative towards that but even in a sense you know where her character ends up going how how quickly she switches
1: she switches yeah which i didn't see coming and no. i don't know if that worked with what they wanted to say
0: yeah i don't i don't know either i mean i just took it as as paranoia continues to set set in everybody will turn on anybody to save their own skin but I don't know that that works because that they don't really commit to that idea because you still have those two characters.
1: Yeah. The, the pilot and the stewardess that never do that. Right.
0: And no matter who betrays them, they sort of still have that sympathy.
1: Yeah. And there's never even moments where they're like tempted to do it.
0: No, but that those kinds of things where I don't know that they are entirely successful. And that's why I don't, as much as I love the ending of the film, I don't, think it's entirely successful it kind of i i find it more shocking yeah the the ending of the movie works
1: is like a hell of a shock and i was when i was watching i was like i couldn't even imagine seeing this in 19 being japanese and seeing this for the first time in 1968 and seeing this ending because i don't know if you would have seen anything quite like it now i think since then we've seen endings that are as nihilistic or as downbeat since then but at that point i don't know if you'd have seen an ending quite like that anywhere and just you'd had to have been shocked by it. Like when you left, that's all you could be thinking about is that ending, like the last ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And I thought the la- and I thought they pulled off the ending really well.
0: Actually, the um, the effects work in the ships kind of flying towards the planet. I did think was actually a really well executed visual.
1: And I like that it was like the last ten minutes. It wasn't they go and they find this and the movie goes to the end. Th- that it is an extended scene and that there's more to it and every. I, I, it made it. It made the ending seem more epic. Yeah, and more important.
0: <laughs> Which is so. It's interesting in contrast to how small everything feels yeah. for the first eighty minutes or so.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas it that was the, the, the thing that surprised me about going into this was as I was watching it, reeling, realizing that. I mean, it's a science fiction horror film, but it, it's much more of like a, a just a a pot boiler. Like sort of yeah, drama. It really is. I
1: mean, if you you could have had the exact same thing with the hijacker, the corrupt politician, the corrupt arms dealer, etc., and their crap, they they've just crash landed, and just a straight melodrama potboiler kind of film. Yeah, eliminate the aliens.
0: It's very reminiscent of Flight of the Phoenix. I think yeah. in some ways it has a similar kind of idea behind it. But I actually like this movie more than that.
1: What did you uh, think of the <clears> the <throat> image the imagery of the birds committing suicide? Oh, but,
0: that that opening is amazing.
1: That was yeah, it was.
0: It sets everything up so beautifully. Yeah, it's done in a way. It's interesting because even when this movie gets really crazy, um, it's still kind of directed with sort of a subdued nature to it. Yeah. So, as those events continue to occur the direction doesn't try to, like, overplay the frantic nature. So you have, you know, these people on the plane, they're talking, somebody's been assassinated, the birds are flying in, then they get the phone call about a bomb being on the plane, which, um, is that, like, standard protocol to have a co-pilot get up and (laughs) check passengers' baggage as a possible terrorist threat?
1: I like his, uh, his reasoning for it. Because when I ask him, why are you doing this? He's like, oh, uh, a bag got on here on accident. Well, you would be able to tell what it is just by, well, th- I know this is my bag. Why would I have to open it? I know this is not the bag you're looking for.
0: So he's searching for the bags. <laughs> they find suitcase with a with a rifle in it, which is such a nice, like, kind of uh, throwback to that era <laughs> where, you know, yeah. somebody can get a rifle on a plane.
1: Well, also just how, like, calm it was when they heard that there was a bomb on the
0: plane. right. <laughs> Um, and then you kind of realize that there, there is a bomb on the plane, but it's another yep. character. So it's just kind of building and building and building. The plane is hijacked. And then, you know, this flying saucer comes out of nowhere and they crash. And then having like just cutting hard cut to that red sky. And it's like, there's four or five beats of just complete silence where mm-hmm. it's just like, what what is going on? And then there's just the titles come up. Oh, I thought that that was, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it great editing, but (laughs) there was something very uh, jarring about it. And I would say like the concept with the the birds flying in and everything like that, that is one thing where I wish that the rest of the film would kind of bring in more imagery like that. Like, I, I do think that the way that the movie sets itself up, I was expecting a bit more horror. To work its yeah. way into the to their their situation when it really
1: like, like I I don't want this to sound the like the wrong way because I I like this movie quite a bit but the first ten minutes and the last ten minutes the other sixty minutes in the middle it's it's like that great of a beginning and that great of an ending deserved a better body of the film mm-hmm. and and like I said I don't want that to sound wrong that I didn't like because I like the movie quite a bit but in a beginning and ending that good deserved to have the rest of the film be that good.
0: And it has a lot of elements that do work. I mean, I think yeah. all of the effects work is really effective.
1: Quite, quite good and interesting looking, and un, not like anything else I think that was out at that time.
0: The thing that I like about a lot of these movies is that they have this sort of theatrical formalism to them, where they're more interested in setting an atmosphere rather than attempting to be convincing in a naturalistic yeah, yeah. way. It's not about capturing reality as reality is. Yeah, yeah. So even like the sequence with the plane crash, it's clearly a miniature. And I don't I don't think that the movie's necessarily trying to convince you otherwise. It's just trying to say no. this is a miniature, so we're going to do our best to create the best miniature work that we can that the, will kind of set you up for the movie that you're getting. The
1: first shot of the movie, which is the miniature of the plane flying over the miniature city, and it's like a red sky. Yeah. It's like something out of a nightmare. I mean, it's it's a, that's like one of the best opening shots of any film. Because it just cuts in. You know, there's no fade in, It's just, boom, there it is. And it's, I think, incredibly effective. And it sets the tone for what the rest of the movie is going to be.
0: Yeah, that is true. I was just thinking, it, it doesn't waste any time at all getting right into you know, it. No, it just
1: starts. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just starts. Here we go. This is it. And I really like the movie. But the beginning and ending were so good. So, so shocking, and the imagery was so great, and just like the concept of the birds know something's going on and are committing suicide. Yeah, is so strong that it's like the the middle of the movie should have been that great as well, mm-hmm. and instead it was just really good, not great. And it's like just a shame. It's and you get this a lot, I think, with a movie where there are elements of it that are great, and it just doesn't reach. The rest of the movie doesn't reach that level of greatness, and it's just it's almost better for a movie to be bad all the way through than a movie that almost makes it, but not quite, not quite.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, at least um, I I would say that I was never, I never reached a point where I was sort of like twiddling my thumbs, like, okay, let's get on with this. Like it, it has enough interesting elements and it establishes enough interesting visuals and ideas to where you're kind of curious what they're going to do as this situation escalates. I just thought things like even with the the sequence where the hijacker is consumed by the alien mm-hmm. I would have liked a more kind of uh creative way of kind of uh getting him there mm-hmm. I mean it's literally he's run down the hill they see it and then he suddenly just, just becomes in a trance to it yeah and that I mean that's another thing the um the model heads mm-hmm. I I think at least they do it a couple times. I can't think of what other character has a model head that they do, but I thought at least the hijackers' model head was pretty well put together. I mean, it's obvious yeah, yeah, that it is one, but yeah, but
1: I still thought it looked good. Mm-hmm.
0: But I, I mean, if it would have been possible to do a more like a makeup effect on his forehead and keep the actor to where when he's first when he gets into the ship. And he's first kind of being uh, communicated with him, like, freaking out. And then just suddenly that shift to standing completely still. Still, yeah. Just, I feel like where they they maybe get a little, they got a little lazy yeah, in their realizations of things like that. Whereas, blood red sky, birds committing suicide, all kinds of stuff happening simultaneously. Then you bring in this alien element, and all that stuff feels... Um, like, the birds committing suicide, that feels kind of like a unique thing for this movie at that time. Yeah. Since then, I'm sure there's been movies that have yeah. used that concept or similar they, concepts with animals killing themselves. But, but in this film, though,
1: it was also, the way that they did it, it was quite graphic and quite jarring when you would just hear them just running into the windows of the plane. Because that's how they were committing them committing suicide, were just like dive bombing into the side of the plane.
0: Well, have you ever watched a bird like fly into a window? Into a window, dive? Yeah. Blood never burst all no, over this,
2: the window. They,
1: like, no, it, they exploded in blood. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting, cause I looked this up after I watched the film was that the movie came out in 1916 in Japan, but wasn't released in the United States until 1979. How do you think the film would have worked in 1979?
0: Well, maybe that, that explains its obscurity, maybe in North America. Yeah. By nineteen seventy nine. The seventies is kind of at least my opinion of it is that the seventies became like a really defining era in horror. Yeah. Cause this is post Texas Chainsaw.
1: No, by for quite a few years. Texas Chainsaw was in the early seventies. This is even post Dawn of the Dead, which was in seventy eight, post Halloween.
0: Even for nineteen sixty eight, this feels and I a and this is probably because it Shoshiku did this because they felt like they were really behind but this still feels like of a of another era even in 1968
1: well if you think of in 1968 that was the same year of rosemary's baby
0: night of living dead which this movie there are a lot of parallels that you could draw between this and night of living dead Dead, i agree especially in in terms of the characters and you know their feelings on the situation and the vietnam commentary right but yeah i i mean i i would imagine that Anybody that would have seen this in 1979, probably at a drive-in, would have mm. laughed at it. I mean, I just can't, I can't imagine by that point anymore after Texas Chainsaw, after The Exorcist, after so many movies that are kind of pushing well, the envelope. Think of it
1: this way, in 1979, that was the same year Alien came out. And I bet one <laughs> of the reasons this was released, finally, in 1979, because it has an Alien connection. So it's no. possible that it was even released in the U.S. post Alien.
0: That's an interesting point.
1: And Alien is so influenced by Planet of the Vampires. Right. And this has a, a vampiric alien in it. So again, there's like an, another connection you can make.
0: And I mean, as nihilistic as this film is, yeah. which I think is its strength, and that's just because I'm a total nihilist, uh, but as nihilistic as it is, it never... It never um, at least for me, I think a lot of horror started, like, the 70s is where you start getting into postmodern sort of aesthetics Yeah, in, in that department. And this, even with all of its nihilism, its aesthetic is still a bit goofy. So it wouldn't have, there's probably a lot of people that saw this and just completely misunderstood the intention, or that were completely oblivious to it's anti-war commentary beyond the fact that it's showing you images of war and there's a woman who's... Well, that was
1: another thing that I was curious about because Vietnam War ended in 75 and this is now 79. That's that's
0: a good point, yeah. I mean, by then... This is old news. Yeah, I mean, how
1: how does that play? I mean, because she's going over there, isn't she? Yeah, I mean...
0: This feels even more dated than it already is by
1: 1979. Yeah. I mean, do, like, the people that release that in America, do they dub her lines and make her... Something else? I mean, is she still a Vietnam War veteran? I mean, not veteran, but widow? I
0: mean, Well, are there, what kind of conflicts were going on in
1: 1979? Uh, the hosti- hostages in Iran?
0: <laughs> I think even though in saying that, the, the fact that all these survivors are turning on each other does sort of reflect the Cold War era. Cold War, yeah, I agree. And this threat to end civilization, which is exactly what these aliens essentially do. So, I don't know, maybe... Maybe if people were looking at it through that lens, it could have been a bit more effective. But I, I just, I get the feeling that this is probably was at that by that point just considered to be like harmless drive-in fodder. Yeah. Which I do, I think is a bit more than that, and and that's maybe why I'm a yeah. bit I'm a bit more negative towards it than I would be other films of its kind because I think it aspires to do something more than what a lot of films of its era were doing, and it just doesn't quite reach that level. No, there are
1: parts where it gets close, but it doesn't quite make it over that hump. Like, going back to uh, Montago, like, like one of the things that I always liked about Montago is that, (laughs) because it's on, like, a tropical island, I feel that. Like, I do think the film feels, like, very sweaty. And I think it builds that atmosphere better than this film builds the atmosphere of being in the desert.
0: And that's an excellent point because um one of the things that I did think this movie failed to execute was its use of like its mise-en-scène. Yeah. Because uh there isn't really much character to the environment. I mean, and maybe no. that's <laughs> maybe that is in itself trying to support the nihilistic nature of it, but even the plane, like I feel like there could have been something done to make the plane's uh design a bit more Interesting for these characters to kind of be stranded in. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, the exteriors are clearly um, dictated by the budget that the film had because it reuses a lot of the same. I mean, you have that set piece where the suicide bomber is running, and that set piece comes up like several times later on in the movie, and it's the same concept of rocks falling off the cliff. Cliff, yeah. yeah. They either just didn't have the resources to expand and Go bigger in terms of their set pieces, but uh, that was just one thing where I just felt like if you could have figured out a way to better utilize the location and use the actual location itself to help build upon the tension, then I would have bought more of like these characters like sweating bullets because everybody is really sweaty in this yeah. movie. I will say that. Whereas I think Mantango, like it's such a unique environment to be stuck in like it's such a it feels so singular in that way where this
1: it, and we also never really get like a, a scene as creepy as the woman eating mushrooms no, no.
0: <laughs> we need we need to do mantango at some yeah, point on this show because yeah, yeah. i do really enjoy that
1: no i will say that go k body Snatcher from hell is better than tear beneath the sea which is another film by Seido, okay, I was going so to ask
0: if you had seen that, because that is a Sunny Chiba movie.
1: Yeah, I've seen that, and I was never, like, a big fan of that movie. And I print, I've i seen the American edit, so I don't know how different that is from the original Japanese release. Mm-hmm. And I was never a big fan of it. Um, it really feels more like, to me, it feels more like a 50s AIP creature feature kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and this is 66, so I would say that was probably pretty dated by the time it came out in the US. So, um Have you seen the this
0: Golden is... Bat? No. That I guess is the other big cult film that he directed that I I think might have been before this. Um From what I've understand, he he directed some films in the 60s and early 70s mm-hmm. and then he primarily worked in other departments on films. Okay.
1: So Golden Bat, that's also got Sonny Chief. I see. Okay, no, I haven't seen that.
0: It's hard to say if the nihilism is his own doing, or if that's something that...
1: Yeah, I don't know if that just came out in the screenplay, or... Yeah, the, there's what? just
0: something... That element of it is what, for me, makes it so unique, is just how downright cynical it is about humanity. Yeah. Um. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I will say that Criterion's at least the version that I watched on Hulu Plus, I was a little yeah. disappointed with its quality. I don't know if you picked up I I thought the sound mix was pretty bad where it's mm-hmm. I I mean I watched it with headphones and I
1: Okay, yeah, I just watched it on straight to the There was a lot of
0: sequences where I don't know, you know, the dialogue was sort of like echoing over itself at points. Yeah, I didn't
1: I didn't make any note of that, but I'm pretty forgiving with things like that. Mm-hmm. So
0: the one thing that I did think was weird is when the American woman does die. You know, we just saw in a previous sequence her shoot the pilot, and then when she's yeah. being attacked, she can't she can't hit the target to save her life. <laughs> she's just firing weird. everywhere.
1: Yeah, I didn't know if that was her missing or it just wasn't affecting him.
0: Oh, maybe. I mean, I th- I thought I saw moments where like the bullets were ricocheting off the. Off the rocks or something. You do,
1: but, <laughs> but as silly as this is, when I say it, I don't know if it was affecting him, as if he's almost like ghost-like and it just goes through him. Mm, mm-hmm. that That's how it. I did not know how to read it. Like if she just can't hit him for some reason, or it's just going straight through him and it doesn't affect him at all. And you know, this since this is pre-wild bunch, we wouldn't see like all these bloods, like bloody squibs, even if it's not hurting him necessarily. So,
0: all right. Anything else you want to say about? Okay, I think we
1: about about covered it.
0: So how many, how many jive? Oh, I'm going. Yeah, you know the one thing I did want to mention was um, I did really appreciate the way in which the victims die, because I think in most cases you would get like a ten little Indians scenario where -hmm. it's just picking them off one by one, but because the movie is so nihilistic, which I guess speaks to the anti-war sentiment even more so, the monster really is not the cause of all of the paranoia and terror. It's, you know, it's the people within the plane yeah. and sort of their, yeah. their jealousy and just their nastiness towards one an, one another, which I do think maybe helps support the ending a bit, but the ending did remind me a little bit of *Planet of the apes too. And
1: yeah, there was like a little, yeah, yeah.
0: but, and I actually okay. think I, uh, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I I don't know. I I appreciated it. I I liked its visuals. I just I wish that it would have been a bit more successful in certain regions. Yeah, yeah, I can see. I so Jive Turkeys.
1: I am still going to give it 4 out of 5 Jive Turkeys cuz I enjoyed myself watching. It. I had a good time. And I thought the ending and the beginning were so strong. And the rest of the movie wasn't bad. Mm-mm. It was good. It just didn't reach reach those peaks. So I still will give it four out of five Jive Turkeys.
0: Okay. And I will give it three and a half Jive Turkeys. And if anybody has Hulu Plus, I mean... They should check it out. I, I definitely think uh, it's worth watching. Watching this, I'm even more curious to watch the other films because I've heard... At least the movies that post-date this one, they're the better films in that box set. Okay. Whereas X, the X from Outer Space or whatever is more of just a Godzilla. Yeah, a giant monster movie, like
1: a Casual film. Which are always fun anyway. Yeah. So. yeah. And we do plan on doing all of them at some point.
0: Yeah, I think I think the plan will be is that every so often we'll pick one at some point and discuss yeah. it. Just because we're not like the next episode will not be a review of the next one or something like that. So no, we're no. gonna spread it out and um I've no. actually heard though cat the American woman that is was in this film has a yeah. much bigger role in genocide. Oh really? She's one of the main characters. Oh wow. And I looked at her IMDb and it's interesting because she was in a she only was in Japanese movies from like sixty seven to sixty nine. So it makes me wonder if she was like married to a Yeah. A, an American that was just stationed in Japan and was kind of like, eh, I got nothing better to do. I'll, yeah. I'll be Kathy in some
1: is her name? Yeah. Right? Yeah, but it, it has to be something like that, I'd imagine.
0: Okay, so that is going to bring us to the trivia, trivia question? Trivia question, yes. All
1: right. So do you want to explain what we're doing with the trivia question?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um So the basic idea is that Every other episode um we're gonna present a trivia question, and then hopefully some of the listeners will send in an answer via email to us and then if they win that week, um, they'll get to choose the programming for a future episode so you i mean it's it's very similar to what we used to do with the clip competition. I'm hoping that maybe this will be a bit more successful, but it's you know this the idea that you would recommend a movie that we watch and then because which i'll talk about towards the end of the show because the format of the show has changed which i'm sure you're you've figured out as you're listening um we'll we'll review that on an upcoming episode and the reason why i guess we're doing every episode every other episode is so that we don't become bombarded with suggestions to the point where we're not able to do everything because we still want to be able to kind of pick stuff that we want to watch so The idea is kind of that the schedule will be half of what we want to discuss and then half of what listeners want to hear from us. Um, So with that in mind, Andy, why don't you reveal the trivia question for this week?
1: All right. So trivia question number one. This is is like a big moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Trivia question. What is the highest grossing film in Japanese cinema history? Do you know? Yes, I do know. And I know. Yeah. It'd be bad if we didn't
0: know. So the question if, is: no Do you? No, know, but not you, as in the person right, listening. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you do know the answer, and it's, I will say that it's a pretty easy answer to find the. It's a well, no, no, it's a pretty easy question to find the answer to. Uh, send us uh, an email to filmjive at gmail dot com with trivia question in the subject line and the answer in the body of the email, and then not next episode but the episode following that we will reveal the winner and the movie that they've chose to hear us talk about yeah and you know pick some interesting movies <laughs> i don't want to have to like talk about batman forever or something like that like <laughs> pick something that's maybe like uh Thor 2 <laughs> no something that's unique to maybe your sensibility, something that maybe is not that everyone kind of unanimous, unanimously the, the winner, loves,
1: right? Like The the winner's going to pick Captain America, Winter Soldier.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, they're going to want us... I want, to, I want you to do a Marvel special. Oh, God. Review all the Marvel movies dating back to the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. Oh,
2: God.
1: <clears throat> there aren't a whole lot of them I like. No. I... The one I like the most is the one that most people probably hate the most.
0: Which is what?
1: Angley's Hawk.
0: No, Oh, yeah, no, no. I would say that that's probably my favorite as well.
1: Yeah, that's the best one. It's the most interesting one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a failure, but it's an interesting failure. I
1: think failure. That, that movie is the reason why Marvel movies are the way they are today, though. Yeah. Is that, that they made such a difficult film that and it was a failure that they were like we just have to make the most bland middle of the road movie we can possibly
0: make from now on. And I know some people think that Marvel's directorial choices are really interesting, but none of them are as interesting as, as Ang Lee, Lee directing obviously. a Hulk movie. Yeah. Because yeah. there's nothing previous to that film that in his body of work. Or wait. No, I'm an idiot. Never mind. Uh because didn't Ang Lee direct Crouching Tiger?
1: Yeah, that was his film before, before, before Hulk. Yeah, but still, Christ, I mean, that's not the same thing as...
0: Yeah, but I I guess where I was going was that he didn't have any sort of action pred- pedigree okay, prior that to that would, movie, yeah, and then I that. realized yeah. I stopped myself, because... Like, oh, yeah, he made a really, really good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he made a really good one, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, no Marvel movies.
1: I think o- outside, outside of Kenneth Branagh, I think all of their choices for director have been pretty bland.
0: Well, they're tame. I think they're people that they yeah. can control. They control, yeah. But if you want us to talk about Ang Lee's Hulk on an episode, I'd be happy to do that, but not yeah. the not yeah. the Edward Norton one. Oh, God, that's
2: horrible.
0: I think that's going to do it for this episode, so you can stop listening now if you don't want to hear us plug <laughs> things. Um, and like I mentioned, if you have been listening, then you'll notice that there's been sort of a dramatic format change. The new plan is kind of that we're going to condense the show down a bit, try to simplify it, and just get right into the movie discussion, Um, which it's also probably important to mention that we're no longer going to exclusively be reviewing new releases on a regular basis. Uh, I would say that if I look at the schedule for the rest of this year, I would maybe like 40% of the remaining episodes are new releases. That could change, depending upon what we see or whatever. And we may review movies that came out this year later in the year. But we're just kind of—I don't know really what the criteria is of, for what we're going to be reviewing. It's just kind of um, whatever. Whatever we, we want, want to do, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I think the big idea would kind of be that whatever we're talking about, at least one of us has not seen previously.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good
0: yeah. So. Let us know what you think of the new format if you love it, hate it, or you don't care. Um, you can send those thoughts along with any others to filmjive at com.
1: See, I think this is like a good switch because we're going to seem like a lot of the films that we picked that all oh, wouldn't be fun to talk about are probably a lot of movies that a lot of people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. So it might like influence them to see something a little off the beaten path.
0: Right. And And I also just feel like sometimes with the new release stuff... We're just arbitrarily watching things because they're new, not necessarily yeah. because we want to watch wanna
2: them.
1: want to see them. Yeah, but I mean, like, something for, like, um, Only Lovers Left, like, we'll do that. Because mm-hmm. we both like Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. So that's a movie we both want to see, but something like the new Captain America, neither one of us want to see it, so what would be the point of us talking about it, then?
0: Right, especially because, <laughs> as people know, we hate Marvel, so... <laughs> If you just want to hear us bag on Marvel for an hour and a half,
1: it's gotten to the point where I don't even remember what I saw. I saw like a trailer for maybe the Amazing Spider-Man two, and I said, "And I like comic books," and I said out loud, "I wish they'd stop making comic book movies. I am tired of them." Yeah. Unless the like a new one comes out and it's completely different than all the other ones, and they do something completely unique. Mm-hmm. But as is, they're not. They're just kind of redoing the same thing over and over again.
0: Well, and the problem is, is that everything. At least in the Marvel universe, and I fear that this is where Warner Brothers is going. Is going to go, yeah. Is that everything's got to tie into one another so that, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think that that becomes just a narrative problem because movies, because it doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense why Thor is fighting a cataclysmic event, and no one else is helping him out. Yeah, no one wants to help him with it. I mean, it—it's more of it. It's more acceptable, I guess, within the text of a comic book.
1: Well, it works in a comic book because everything is happening simultaneously. So the event that's happening to say Captain America in his monthly title, well there's something happening to Iron Man in his monthly title as well. So you can almost argue, well, they both have things going on at the same time, they can't do it. Whereas it's unless they start coming out with Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, etc. movies on the same Just Friday. 12, yeah, on the same Friday, every, you know, there's like, like every month, there's 12 of them that come out a year. And they're all happening at the same time, then it doesn't make sense. Right. And, and, we, and we really haven't, granted, I haven't seen Thor and I haven't seen the new Captain America, but we haven't really had cameos in these to where...
0: Well, at the like, endings, the Yeah, but that doesn't, I
1: mean, like, well, like at the end of Iron Man 3, we learned that Iron Man, you know, Tony Stark's telling this story to Bruce Banner. Well why doesn't Bruce Banner like what was he doing at this time this was going on if there's such buds?
0: Yeah. The Hulk doesn't like, he have, could have his had, own movie.
1: Yeah, he could have at least stopped by and said, Oh, hey Tony, do you need any help with this? And he's like, No, I can take care of it myself and then move on.
0: Or Harry if Dean make... Harry Dean Stanton could have showed oh, up well, and obviously. said, Do you need any help with this?
1: I mean if they want to make it so so much like comic book, just make it it be exactly like a comic book.
2: Yeah.
0: And release a new movie. Every month. Every month. Captain yeah. America one, January.
1: Yeah. April. Captain America number two. Captain America number three.
2: Etc. March, April.
1: <laughs> you know what? If it, you know, if they keep being as successful as they as they are, it wouldn't surprise me if that if we get to that, <laughs> if we get the monthly films,
0: I always have always felt that comic book narratives, you know, with the right budget, would just function much better on television. I agree. Than I agree. they, they would yeah. in films. Like I just. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Well, the con- there isn't great. There aren't that a ton of great examples of superhero TV shows. I mean, no. the Incredible Hulk show, I guess maybe is the exception to that. Well,
1: and if we if we add animated, then the '90s oh, Batman well, and yeah. Superman animated series, would the Justice, work. Yeah, I mean. yeah, the Justice League one would work as well. And I I haven't seen the Green Arrow show, but I hear it's from people that I wouldn't expect to like it, like it. So, um, but yeah, I agree with it because the the concept, the comic book medium works in a episodic fashion
2: mm-hmm.
1: i don't know why it wouldn't work for a television why it wouldn't work better as a television show as opposed to a movie
0: so stop this agents of shield bullshit and just make an avengers tv show
1: although have you ever have you seen the the agents of shield show no i saw one episode and it was horrendous
0: well i imagined
1: <laughs> horrendous i don't get the agent colson character Like, I don't understand why people like him.
0: It's because they used to watch the adventures of the old adventures of new Christine.
1: (laughs) They're all fans of that. He's not like on the show from the one that I saw. They're trying to like project him as like a cool, like badass kind of guy. And he's cool because he has like a classic car. He has like a classic guitar and his living quarters are fancy. Yeah, like I don't understand why that's supposed to be like cool or like makes him a bad like like Dirty Harry lived in a one room apartment.
0: That was cool.
1: <laughs> you know, no, it's it's that he you know when you make a cool character, he doesn't need stuff. Right. That's not what ma- that, and it seems like well, well, isn't trying-
0: that a a beautiful commentary on what Marvel's all about ultimately? Their yeah, approach. it is. It's yes. defined by uh, aesthetics. Yeah, <laughs> really cheap. Bad that's
1: what I can't get over is how cheap these movies look either. But... Yeah.
0: Okay, so we're not going to be talking about Marvel on the next episode. No.
1: The next episode we will be looking at Robinson Crusoe on Mars. So we're staying in the science fiction genre.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: By Byron Haskins.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who was a big? Uh, I think he was like a big visual effects wizard mm-hmm. at the time, and then he got to direct this movie, and everybody's Let's... minds were blown.
1: Well, it's (laughs) it's strange that this is the movie is relatively um, accurate to what they knew at the time about space travel and Mars and things like that. So a lot of research was done to make a somewhat realistic movie about a very unrealistic topic.
0: And in a supporting role, Adam West. (laughs) Adam
1: West. Yeah. So. And it was shot on location Shot on many of the same locations as Zabriskie. Is that how you say it's Zabriskie
0: Point? I thought it was Zabriskie, but maybe.
1: Zabriskie? Zabriskie? That makes more sense. So I'm assuming that um, Antonioni was a big fan of <laughs> Robinson Crusoe. He's like, I gotta make a movie there.
0: You know, what's funny is though, is I feel like uh, if Antonioni had directed a sci-fi film, it probably would resemble Robinson Crusoe Cruz more, more than it would say something like 2001.
2: Yeah, I agree. All right. So yeah,
1: good show. A <laughs> lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you... I'm looking
1: forward, I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say about Robinson Crusoe.
0: Have you seen it before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Well, this, will be
1: interesting. Th- this is a funny thing. Okay. When I was in, uh, in undergrad, I took a, my minor was writing. I had to take a lot of these, you know, like technical writing and things like that. And one of the writing classes was like a persuasion writing class. And, uh, You had to write a, your big final was like a a persuasive paper with a uh, complete presentation. You had to have like visuals and things like that in my presentation. (laughs) My presentation was on Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Really? It was uh, because Criterion released it on Laserdisc, but it was only out for a very short time and it was pulled. Paramount pulled their license. Wow. And uh, no one never knew why really. And um, for a long time, Criterion went back because one of the guys that, I don't know if he was like one of the founders of Criterion or a guy that worked there that was really higher up. That's one of his favorite movies, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. And they always worked to try to get it back. And my paper was about why Paramount should license Robinson Crusoe on Mars to Criterion for a DVD release.
0: Mm, so you're going to have a lot to say.
1: And when it was over, I got the big standing O. Really? Yes.
0: So are you the familiar only, with
1: the only one that got a standing ovation. So you're <laughs> when people stood up
2: and started clapping.
0: So you're like the kid in God's Not Dead who proves to the teacher that God is real. Only yeah. you you proved that Robinson Caruso belonged on, on Criterion. <laughs> he belonged on Mars Yeah. Oh, I that's yeah. an interest that's a good teaser for the next episode. Isn't that
1: funny? <laughs> And it was before I had seen the movie because, you know, I didn't have a laser disc player. You know.
0: Oh, really? You had never seen?
1: No, no. It was all based on me wanting to see the movie based on the title, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, because I like the Robinson Crusoe
0: story. Was Was it like when that <laughs> happened, did everything kind of slow down for you? <laughs> when like it you, came you're... out of me? <laughs> no, laughing. the clapping. Like when you walked back to your seat, did everybody... No, I
1: laughed because I couldn't believe <laughs> it. Did... <laughs>
0: Cause it was
1: all on a uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> inter- interesting. <laughs> interesting. Thing, huh? Yeah. An inter- interesting. Interesting.
0: Well, it's very apropos that we chose to talk about that movie. And I didn't even know about that. I just, oh. I didn't, I didn't know you had seen it because the only reason why I thought of it was because you had recently said you picked it up on Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah. And I saw that it became available, available on Netflix instant, So I thought, well, Everyone else is gonna be talking about under the skin. Why don't we just talk <laughs> about Robinson so on Mars? Yeah. So yeah, you can also find Andy over at the Stephen and Andy and Meet Batman podcast.
2: Kind
1: of.
0: We've got our fingers crossed. A new episode will be released. There's this episodes
1: year. in the vault. Mm-hmm. Let's just say. Well, that. you guys are
0: like the Disney Vault. You only let them yeah, out every
1: five years. I, and then we pull them back.
0: You can find us at filmdrive.wordpress.com and on Facebook. Leave us an iTunes review. And I think that's everything.
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: All right, so thanks for listening. Join us for the next
2: episode. uh, And keep on jiving.